Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Hello, this is KJ, and this week I am sharing with you an interview I did with two sisters, Sarah Bush and Laura Hall, who shared with me their experience in the Columbine High School shooting. If you're not familiar, the Columbine High School shooting happened April 20th, 1999 in Littleton, Colorado, and two students from the high school came to the school with guns and bombs and killed 13 people and wounded more than 20 others. And at that point in time, the SWAT team and police were closing in on them and they shot and killed themselves. And it was an incredibly horrific and traumatizing experience for all the students that were involved. And I'm very grateful for Sarah and Laura for their willingness to share with me their experience and to share with all of you. And I so appreciate what they are doing with their story by sharing it in the hopes that it can help educators and people that um, like EMTs and SWAT teams and people who are first responders to crisis situations like that to help educate them on what is important in those situations, how to help victims, how to comfort people who just went through something incredibly traumatic. I appreciate them and their willingness to share, and let's get into the interview. Welcome, guys, to the podcast. Thank you. So, to start, if you guys could just share with us your story from that day. Um, I know you both have different experiences from that day. So it would be great to hear from both of you. I'll go first. Um, This is Sarah, by the way. Um, I am, I was 16 years old that day at Columbine. I was a sophomore and it was near the end of the year. And I uh, got to school just like every other day. And, um, walked into the school with my sister and kind of went our separate ways for the day. And at about uh, somewhere in the 11 o'clock hour, I was in my math class upstairs. And I, we were, we had a test that day. And so it was totally dead quiet. We were, um, everybody was down, you know, heads down working. And I heard a huge explosion and it was so big that it kind of shook the room a little bit. And we all looked around at each other and we, um, you know, kind of speculated for a minute about what it might be kind of, you know, you're not supposed to talk during tests. So we, we didn't really think much of it and we put our heads back down and we got back to work. And in my mind, I thought maybe it's a, a senior prank. Maybe it's probably just the science lab doing 
you know, some sort of uh, experiment or something, you know, something fun the last few days of school. And as I continued my test, um, it was a few more minutes until the baseball coach for our school came running into our room and he had been going room to room down the math corridor and he opened the door and he yelled as loud as he could, you guys need to get out. There's somebody shooting. And, um, that's not something that you ever, especially in that time are prepared to hear. And I don't, I don't really think I could process what was happening at that moment, but of course, you know, you're, your fight or flight kicks in and you just, I just jumped up and I ran, I ran across the room and I ran as fast as I could down the hallway. And I'm sure there were other people with me, but at the moment I, I, you know, and as I look back, I feel like I'm the only one running down this hallway out of the school. And I was able to escape out near the front of the school and ran across the road um, this very busy road into a big field. It was a big park across the street from our high school. And this was kind of a gathering place of whoever was getting out of the school. And we, we kind of stood there in this field and tried to find people we knew or friends. And we sat there staring at the school, wondering what was happening. And, you know, there were rumors that somebody had been shot in the ankle or that, you know, people had guns or bombs or whatever. We just really didn't know the severity of the situation yet. And <clears throat> we stood there for probably what seemed like 10 or 15 minutes, although time is very, uh, you know, relative in those moments. You don't really, I don't really remember how long it was, but, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, as we're watching the SWAT team back up to the front of the school behind their, their truck, we hear more gunfire being exchanged at the front of the school, which is very close to us in proximity. It was probably only um, a quarter of a mile, if that, away. Probably less than that. Probably like a football field away. And we turned and we ran. I mean, it was all all chaos again. It was just complete chaos. And there wasn't really any, any order to any of this to begin with, but um, we turned and we scattered what students there were in that field scattered into the neighborhood behind us. And whoever I was with, uh, we ran into some woman's house in just kind of behind us and hopped her fence and went in her back door. And we sat on her couch as we tried to kind of calm down and figure out what was going on. And um, she turned the news on and we sat there and watched the news and watched the first few reports coming in of what was going on and and it was saying you know 15 dead or 25 possible dead or and and the, the number just kept going up and we just kind of sat there in in total shock about what was happening and eventually they organized a a reunification point at a, a local elementary school it was just about a mile away and so she piled us all into her van probably 10 or 12 of us into her van and drove us over to that school. And they put us up on top of the stage in that cafeteria of the elementary school. And they would have somebody read off the names of all the people that had been gathered and had been accounted for. And, uh, you know, I'm standing up there with probably 
who knows how many other kids and they start to read my name and they just have to repeat it over and over again because nobody's there to get me. And they just say, Sarah Green, Sarah Green. And it's just such a, an empty, lonely feeling sitting there. You know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't, nobody had cell phones back then, maybe a couple parents. So getting to, you know, communicate with a, a parent or anybody that you knew was like almost impossible. And so I sat there for probably a good hour until my grandpa was able to come get me. And my mom, he and my mom split up and he was working at a golf course, just actually very close to where I was. So he walked over and he picked me up and we walked to the other meeting point, which was the public library. And my mom was there and she saw me through those glass doors and I burst through, even though they technically weren't letting anybody in, I pushed past and I went in and I, we, we hugged each other and cried. And at this point it had probably been close to two hours after everything had started. And we realized that neither of us knew where Laura was at this point. And that began our, our waiting process of watching these lists come in with all the names of the students who had been rescued from the school and wondering if she had uh, made it out or if she was with somebody else or if she was still in the school or if she had been killed. And it was just this terrible waiting game. And, you know, every half hour they'd bring in a new list of some new names and we'd go check it. And she just wasn't showing up on any of these lists and um, got to be to where it had been probably four hours past the beginning of all this. And I just started to think if she's not out by now, this isn't good. We're not going to find her in the best situation. And finally her name showed up and we, had to go back to that elementary school to find her. She was with some people from just some family friends. And and the second I saw her, um, she was completely distraught and crying and, you know, kind of hysterical. And I realized that she had seen some terrible things that day and that she was broken. And that was really you know, really, really difficult as a, as her best friend. So that was kind of my story of what happened that day. There's several, several parts to that. Like just being on that stage, waiting for your name to be called and no one's there. And then not knowing where Lara is at all or what's going on with anybody, really friends or teachers or anything like that just sounds so surreal. Like, that it was Laura. You were in the school much longer than Sarah, correct? Yes, I. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit of my story. I was a freshman. I was 14 years old, and um, it was like Sarah said. It was right around 11:20 ish. I was in the lunchroom and. Our lunchroom was on the bottom level of our high school. There were two levels. And I was had just barely started eating lunch with my friends. And um, our table was right next to the stairs 
right next to the um, stairs that had a railing on it that took you up to the second level. And, you know, just kind of all of a sudden, like this huge wave, uh, like you would see at a concert or something, everybody just got down under their table. And so, of course, we just followed suit. And I remember kneeling down on the ground under the lunch table, kind of really listening for what was what was happening. And I heard some pops and I looked at the girls underneath the table and I said, did you guys hear that? And they kind of just blew it off like, no, I, I don't know what that is. Or, you know, they didn't notice anything. And I don't even know what period of time, but it wasn't long before a janitor ran by and everyone got up and the, the lunchroom was packed full, you know, of people. And, uh, the janitor ran by and everybody got up and ran. And so with no direction on where to go, you know, you're actually in a moment of running for your life. It was just total chaos. Yet I remember the the feeling of feeling very alone in that moment. And even though I was surrounded by people and I had a skirt on and some sandals on and I decided the best way to go upstairs was to jump over the railing, which took me a little longer than it should have. And um, I ran up the stairs and found my best friend who right at the top of the stairs um, was the choir room and her sister was in the choir room. And she said, "I we need to go find my sister and tell her what's going on. So you just take a left and you're right at the choir room, right at the top of the stairs. So we went in and we're just these two hysterical freshman girls and they were singing and really just had no idea that anything was happening. So we went in and we said, I guess, I guess by that point we had kind of guessed that somebody was shooting. So we went in and said, someone's shooting and um, it was another episode of chaos in there, but the teacher, that classroom had two doors, um, each on the opposite sides of the room. And the teacher took probably half the class out the other side. And my friend and I went to the chairs in the choir room and crouched down under the chair and, um, realized that, you know, that wasn't going to do anything for us so we got up and we followed several kids into the choir office so it's just this very small you know dark black room uh, with some filing cabinets and some tables there were no windows and probably about 30 to between 30 and 40 students went into this choir office and it was so packed that we really were like deans just shoulder to shoulder you know Um, we turned off all the lights and we got anything that we could find and put it up against the door and barricaded ourselves into this office and girl who um, had a cell phone which was very rare even adults didn't really have cell phones but she she called the police and said something's happening we're stuck in this 
And they said, you just need to wait. You need to turn off your cell phone. We don't know what's happening, but we'll, we'll come and find you. Turn it off and just wait. And so she decided to call her mom before she turned off her phone. And I, I had found myself a little corner in this office under a table. And I was sitting down just hysterically crying. And I remember listening to her phone call with her mom. And she said, Mom, I just wanted to tell you that I loved you. I'm stuck in the school and I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again. But I want you to know that I love you. And I think that was the moment that I realized that there was a really high chance that I would not get out of the school. And um, pretty much all of my focus turned to wondering and worrying about where Sarah was. And I spent a long time under that table in the corner um, just praying nonstop that I could have a sense of peace or um, just know that Sarah was going to be okay. I think I had kind of given up on the idea that I was going to get out. And I just wanted to make sure she was okay. And I think probably after 30 or 40 minutes, I feel like I got that, that comfort that I was looking for and didn't feel like I had to worry about her. Um, so we ended up waiting in that choir office for probably you know, about three and a half to four hours, somewhere in that range. Wow. And, you know, it was just pitch black and the shooters came up the stairs many times, which was just a wall away from us. And they were, I like to use the word obnoxious. They just were really trying to make themselves known and laughed and shot up in the air and shot the bombs that they had placed throughout the school and went into all the classrooms and just were very loud. And so we heard all of that and then it would get quiet for a little bit and we would kind of all take a, you know, a breath of relief. And then shortly after the bombs would start going off that they had planted in the school. And it was just kind of this four hour cycle of, um, quiet and then bombs and then quiet and bombs. And, um, the fire alarm was going off the whole time. The sprinklers were going off. There weren't sprinklers in the office, thank goodness. But after about three and a half or four hours, we, um, heard some banging on the door and, um, after some discussion, we discovered that it was the SWAT team and they were there to rescue us and just the sense of relief knowing that I was being rescued was there just aren't really that and uh, I remembered they opened the door and you know we're kind of coming out of this pitch black room into this bright light and the first thing we see is I want to say probably eight SWAT team members um, on each side of us with their machine guns pointed at us and they were yelling and they were using, you know, just very abrupt, loud, 
terrible language trying to tell us what to do and what we needed to do. And that was, again, very traumatizing for me. It kind of just started a whole new set of trauma. And um, we ended up putting our finger in the person's belt loop in front of us. And they filed us in single file and took us out the auditorium, which took us downstairs back into the cafeteria. So we went back into the cafeteria and waded through a foot of water and, you know, just backpacks and food were floating everywhere. And they took us over to the doors that the shooters came in when they originally started the shooting and all the glass was shot out. And it was just a very um, morbid scene. And we walked out and at that point we were able to run up the stairs to a point where police cars would come and shuttle us out. And the first thing that I saw was a classmate. His name was Danny Rohrbaugh. He was at my feet, dead on the ground. And I had grown up with him since second grade. And I was forced to walk over his body and um, ran up the stairs and was faced with another classmate Rachel Scott at the top of the stairs and had to walk over her body and I still can remember the very positions that they were laying in and the looks on their faces and um I was really angry at that point I thought you know even in my young 14 year old brain I thought there had to have been a different way that they could have taken us out of the school uh so the police cars came and shuttled in and I dove into a police car because I was not waiting another second for rescue. And they took us out where they put us on buses to go to the elementary school that Sarah was talking about. And um, when I got out of the police car, somebody looked at me and they said, you've, you've been injured, haven't you? And they rushed me over to the paramedic and said something something must be wrong with her because I was so hysterically crying and you know they looked over looked me over and said everything's fine um so I was not physically injured yeah but very emotionally injured and got on the bus and um had a very similar experience to Sarah's they put us up on the stage and they only did one at a time. So they put me up on the stage by myself and I looked out into this crowd of parents who were just crying, hoping to see their children. And I remember looking out and just, again, feeling so alone, even though I was surrounded by people, I didn't know anybody. And they called out my name several times and eventually just kind of pushed me to the side and waited for somebody who knew me to come up and take me. And I got passed around multiple families for at least another hour, probably more. And I remember I was sitting outside of the elementary school, sitting on a little rock wall, crying, just waiting. And I remember I turned and looked to my left and I saw my mom and my grandpa and my sister and, um, there was just no better sight than that. Uh, so finally I was rescued and we went home and, uh, my dad was actually in a 
work trip in Montana and could not, you know, get a hold of us or anything. So that, that was really hard, but that's most of my story about that day. Okay, so I decided to split the interview into two parts just for ease of listening. So head over to part two now to hear Sarah and Laura talk more about PTSD, the coping mechanisms that helped them, and their recovery process. <laughs> 